Chapter Sixteen of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter Sixteen. Lady Cecil began. I have already told you that though I call Gerard my brother, and he possesses my sisterly affection, we are only connections by marriage, and not the least related in blood. His father married my mother, but Gerard is the offspring of a former marriage, as I am also. Sir Boyville's first wife is the unfortunate lady who is the heroine of my tale. Sir Boyville, then Mr. Neville, for he inherited his baronetcy only a few years ago, had advanced beyond middle age when he first married. He was a man of the world and of pleasure, and being also clever, handsome, and rich, had great success in the circles of fashion. He was often involved in liaisons with ladies, whose names were rife among the last generation for loving notoriety and amusement better than duty and honor. As he made a considerable figure, he conceived that he had a right to entertain a high opinion of himself, and not without some foundation. His good sayings were repeated, his songs were set to music, and sung with enthusiasm in his own set. He was courted and feared. Favored by women, imitated by men, he reached the zenith of a system any connection with which is considered as enviable. He was some five-and-forty when he fell in love, and married. Like many dissipated men, he had a mean idea of female virtue, and especially disbelieved that any portion of it was to be found in London. So he married a country girl without fortune, but with beauty and attraction sufficient to justify his choice. I never saw his lady, but several of her early friends have described her to me. She was something like Gerard, yet how unlike. In the color of the eyes and hair, and the formation of the features they resembled, but the expression was wholly different. Her clear complexion was tinged by a pure blood that ebbed and flowed rapidly in her veins, driven by the pulsations of her soul rather than of her body. Her large dark eyes were irresistibly brilliant, and opened their lids on the spectator with an effect such as the sun has, when it drops majestically below a heavy cloud, and dazzles the beholder with its unexpected beams. She was vivacious, nay, wild of spirit, but though raised far above the dull monotony of common life by her exuberant joyousness of soul, yet every thought and act was ruled by a pure unsullied heart." Her impulses were keen and imperative. Her sensibility, true to the touch of nature, was tremblingly alive. But their more dangerous tendencies were guarded by excellent principles, and a truth never shadowed by a cloud. Her generous and confiding heart might be duped, might spring forward too eagerly, and she might be imprudent, but she was never false. An ingenuous confession of error if ever she fell into it, purged away all suspicion that anything mysterious or forbidden lurked in her most thoughtless acts. 
other women who like her are keenly sensitive and who are driven by ungovernable spirits to do what they afterward repent and are endowed as she was with an aptitude to shame when rebuked guard their dignity or their fears by falsehood and while their conduct is essentially innocent enmesh themselves in such a web of deceit as not only renders them absolutely criminal in the eyes of those who detect them but in the end hardens and perverts their better nature alethea neville never sheltered herself from the consequences of her faults rather she met them too eagerly acknowledged a venial error with too much contrition and never rested till she had laid her heart bare to her friend and judge and vindicated its every impulse to this admirable frankness soft tenderness and heart-cheering gaiety was added a great store of common sense her fault if fault it could be called was a too earnest craving for the sympathy and affection of those she loved to obtain this she was unwearied nay prodigal in her endeavours to please and serve her generosity was a ready prompter while her sensibility enlightened her she sought love and not applause and she obtained both from all who knew her to sum up all with the mention of a defect though she could feel the dignity which an adherence to the dictates of duty imparts yet sometimes going wrong sometimes wounded by censure and always keenly alive to blame she had a good deal of timidity in her character she was so susceptible to pain that she feared it too much too agonizingly and this terror of meeting anything harsh or grating in her path rendered her too diffident of herself too submissive to authority too miserable and too yielding when anything disturbed the harmony with which she desired to be surrounded it was these last qualities probably that led her to accept mr neville's offer her father wished it and she obeyed he was a retired lieutenant in the navy sir boyville got him raised to the rank of post-captain and what naval officer but would feel unbounded gratitude for such a favour he was appointed to a ship sailed and fell in an engagement not many months after his daughter's marriage grateful even in his last moments that he died commanding the deck of a man-of-war meanwhile his daughter bore the effects of his promotion in a less gratifying way yet at first she loved and esteemed her husband he was not then what he is now he was handsome and his good breeding had the polish of the day he was popular through a sort of liveliness which passes for wit though it was rather a conventional ease in conversation than the sparkle of real intellect besides he loved her to idolatry whatever he is now still vehemence of passion forms his characteristic and though the selfishness of his disposition gave an evil bias even to his love yet it was there and for a time it shed its delusions over his real character while her artless and sweet caresses could create smiles while he played the slave at her feet or folded her in his arms with genuine and undisguised transport even his darker nature was adorned by the to him alien and transitory magic of love but marriage too soon changed sir boyville for the worse 
close intimacy disclosed the distortions of his character. He was a vain and a selfish man. Both qualities rendered him exacting in the extreme, and the first gave birth to the most outrageous jealousy. Alethea was too ingenuous for him to be able to entertain suspicions, but his jealousy was nourished by the difference of their age and temper. She was nineteen, in the first bloom of loveliness, in the freshest spring of youthful spirits, too innocent to suspect his doubts, too kind in her most joyous hour to fancy that she could offend. He was a man of the world, a thousand times had seen men duped and women deceive. He did not know of the existence of a truth as spotless and uncompromising as existed in Alethea's bosom. He imagined that he was marked out as the old husband of a young wife. He feared that she would learn that she might have married more happily, and desirous of engrossing her all to himself, a smile spent on another was treason to the absolute nature of his rights. At first she was blind to his bad qualities. A thousand times he frowned when she was gay. A thousand times ill-humor and cutting reproofs were the results of her appearing charming to others, before she discovered the selfish and contemptible nature of his passion and became aware that, to please him, she must blight and uproot all her accomplishments, all her fascinations, that she must forever curb her wish to spread happiness around, that she, the very soul of generous, unsuspecting goodness, must become cramped in a sort of bed of Procustes, now having one portion lopped off, and then another, till the maimed and half-alive remnant should resemble the soulless niggard tyrant, whose every thought and feeling centred in his Lilliputian self. That she did at last make this discovery cannot be doubted, though she never disclosed her disappointment, nor complained of the tyranny from which she suffered. She grew heedful not to displease, guarded in her behavior to others, and so accommodated her manner to his wishes, as showed that she feared but concealed that she no longer esteemed him. A new reserve sprang up in her character, which, after all, was not reserve, for it was only the result of her fear to give pain, and of her unalterable principles. Had she spoken of her husband's faults, it would have been to himself, but she had no spirit of governing, and quarrelling and contention were the antipodes of her nature. If, indeed, this silent yielding to her husband's despotism was contrary to her original frankness, it was a sacrifice made to what she esteemed her duty, and never went beyond the silence which best becomes the injured. It cannot be doubted that she was alive to her husband's faults. Generous, she was restrained by his selfishness. Enthusiastic, she was chilled by his worldly wisdom. Sympathetic, she was rebuked by a jealousy that demanded every feeling. She was like a poor bird that with untired wing would mount gaily to the skies, when on each side the wires of the aviary impede its flight. Still, it was her principle that we ought not to endeavor to form a destiny for ourselves, but to act well our part on the scene where Providence has placed us. She reflected seriously, and perhaps sadly, for the first time in her life, 
and she formed a system for herself which would give the largest extent to the exercise of her natural benevolence and yet obviate the suspicions and cure the fears of her narrow-minded self-engrossed husband in pursuance of her scheme she made it her request that they should take up their residence entirely at their seat in the north of england giving up london society and transforming herself altogether into a country lady in her benevolent schemes in the good she could there do and in the few friends she could gather round her against whom her husband could form no possible objection she felt certain of possessing a considerable share of rational happiness exempt from the hurry and excitement of town for which her sensitive and ardent mind rendered her very unfit under the guidance of a man who at once desired that she should hold a foremost place and was yet disturbed by the admiration which she elicited sir boyville complied with seeming reluctance but real exultation he possesses a delightful seat in the southern part of cumberland here amid a simple-hearted peasantry and in a neighbourhood where she could cultivate many social pleasures she gave herself up to a life which would have been one of extreme happiness had not the exactions the selfishness the uncongenial mind of sir boyville debarred her from the dearest blessings of all sympathy and friendship with the partner of her life still she was contented her temper was sweet and yielding she did not look on each cross and circumstance as an injury or a misfortune, but rather as a call on her philosophy, which it was her duty to meet cheerfully. Her heart was too warm not to shrink with pain from her husband's ungenerous nature, but she had a resource to which she gave herself up with ardor. She turned the full but checked tide of affections from her husband to her son. Gerard was all in all to her her hope, her joy, her idol, and he returned her love with more than a child's affection. His sensibility developed early, and she cultivated it perhaps too much. She wished to secure a friend, and the temptation afforded by the singular affectionateness of his disposition and his great intelligence was too strong. Mr. Neville strongly objected to the excess to which she carried her maternal cares, and augured ill of the boy's devotion to her but here his interference was vain the mother could not alter and the child standing at her side eyed his father even then with a sort of proud indignation on his daring to step in between them to mrs neville this boy was as an angel sent to comfort her she could not bear that any one should attend on him except herself she was his playmate and instructress when he opened his eyes from sleep his mother's face was the first he saw she hushed him to rest at night did he hurt himself she flew to his side in agony did she utter one word of tender reproach it curbed his childish passions on the instant he seldom left her side but she was young enough to share his pastimes her heart overflowed with its excess of love and he, even as a mere child, regarded her as something to protect as well as worship. Mr. Neville was angry, and often reproved her to great partiality, though by degrees it won some favour in his eyes. Gerard was his son and heir, and he might be supposed to have a share in the affection lavished on him. 
He respected also the absence of frivolous vanity that led her to be happy with her child, contented away from London, satisfied in fulfilling the duties of her station, though his eyes only were there to admire. He persuaded himself that there must exist much latent attachment towards himself to reconcile her to this sort of exile, and her disinterestedness received the reward of his confidence, he who never before believed or respected woman. He began to yield to her more than he was wont, and to consider that he ought now and then to show some approbation of her conduct. When Gerard was about six years old, they went abroad on a tour. Travelling was a mode of passing the time that accorded well with Mr. Neville's matrimonial view of keeping his wife to himself. In the travelling carriage he only was beside her. In seeing sights he, who had visited Italy before, and had some taste, could guide and instruct her and short as their stay in each town was, there was no possibility of forming serious attachments or lasting friendships. At the same time, his vanity was gratified by seeing his wife and son admired by strangers and natives. While abroad, Mrs. Neville bore another child, a little girl. This added greatly to her domestic happiness. Her husband grew extremely fond of his baby daughter, there was too much difference of age to set her up as a rival to Gerard. She was, by contradistinction, the father's darling, it is true, but this rather produced harmony than discord, for the mother loved both children too well to feel hurt by the preference, and softened by having an object he really loved to lavish his favour on, Sir Boyville grew much more of a tender father and indulgent husband than he had hitherto shown himself. End of chapter 16